Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this day, for the beauty of your holiness, and for the grace you give us in being able to enter into your throne room. Lord, we do not take this lightly, or we're only welcome, Lord, because of the grace and mercy you have shared with us through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we come. We come as people longing, longing, Lord, to know your hope, longing to be filled with your grace, longing to feel your love and favor on us. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today. We pray that you would reveal to us our brokenness, reveal to us our need for you, and help us to be filled with with a hope which cannot be taken from us. Lord, give me your words to speak to your people today, and help us all to be united in our faith in you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. So great to see you all. It's so nice to be home. As you know, I've been traveling. I was in Israel, then South Carolina, then Los Angeles, and now back here. And I was, uh, had the amazing opportunity last night, sleeping in my own bed. It was so wonderful. I enjoyed it so much that at 2.30 in the morning, I woke up and couldn't go back to sleep again. <laughs> you know, because you don't want to waste those hours of sleep, right? So I tossed and turned until I got to join you all for worship. So I'm happy to be here, but I'm afraid only part of me is here right now. Part of it is somewhere in slumberland. I don't know where it went. Now, as you all know, or many of you know, um, before I went to L.A. to do the wedding, I, was con- I conducted a funeral for the father of one of my um, close friends from growing up. Uh, and it was a hard funeral to do hard because I loved this man. I mean, he was like a, another father to me, a mentor, someone who cared for me, was always there to communicate with. I, I even, when I came home from college, I worked with him. I did construction with him for a summer. I mean, he was so um, important to me in so many areas of my life. And so doing his funeral was, was really hard. So there, during that funeral, there were lots of tears and lots of sorrow, but also lots of times to laugh as well. He left us a lot of good stories when he passed. Um, but after the funeral was over, uh, and I was there at the reception, <clears throat> I was talking to a lot of people, and I had this sudden and stark realization. Holy guacamole, a bunch of these people knew me before I was a Christian. Right? And your laughs tell me that you know what I'm talking about. Right? They knew me back when I was, as one of my teachers who I saw at a funeral I was conducting a few years ago said to me, Seth Kellerman, you little imp, how did you get to be a priest? Right? Who let you in here? They were there. They had seen me in my spectacular failures. They had witnessed it and been a part of it, many of them an encourager of that too, right? And then some of them had been able to witness when during my junior year, my life changed. My life changed. I saw Jesus and everything changed for me. The gospel became real and my life transformed. And Tara, my wife, was a huge part of it. She was there talking to me about Jesus and what 
he means for me and how he could change my life and transform me. And he did. And, and I want to hope that I became a different person. I, I know I'm not perfect. My goodness, I wish I was. Um, but I'm a very different person than I was. Very different person. And so I had gotten into the habit when I came back to town from being gone for 13 years. Um, so when I came back 11 years ago to take this position, I'd gotten in the habit of when I saw people I knew from high school or middle school or elementary school, I would begin the conversation with an apology. Right? It was just easier to get it out of the way with early on. Right? I'm sorry if, you know, I was uh, mean, snotty, whatever it was. Can you forgive me? And they would usually say something like, oh, I was too. It's fine. No worry, you know. Water into the bridge. But I'd forgotten about that for a while. You know, I'd got kind of comfortable. I've been here 11 years now. And so it was suddenly I was exposed to a whole group of people from my past and realized these people knew me. They knew me. And it reminded me of my shame, right? My shame. Wouldn't it be great to have nothing you needed to apologize for? Wouldn't it be great to have a past that it was just the easiest thing in the world to open the door on it because it was exactly the same as your present and your present was full of just beauty and joy and obedience to God? Wouldn't that be amazing? For the true you to be revealed and it to look exactly the same as the way you live every day as a faithful Christian. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, we get to see that here. Not here, not us, unfortunately, but in Jesus, in our accounts from this Sunday, in our our gospel passage, and in uh, the account of Peter's, um, in the account of the transfiguration in Peter's second letter, which is what we're going to be looking at today, is, is Peter's letter. Here we see Peter in this letter begin with an assertion of the trustworthiness of the testimonies about Jesus. And this begs the question, right, how do we know when something is trustworthy? How do you know? How do you know? Oh, for instance, like you look up a recipe for how to do something, you know, how to cook something. How do you know the recipe is trustworthy? You try it, right? And if it cooks right, trustworthy recipe. All right, how do you know if a person is trustworthy? Experience. But what kind of experience? Faithful experience, right? So you've seen that this person has said something and then done that same thing, right? They've said, I'll be there for you. And then when you needed them, they were there, right? They were there. That made them trustworthy. They told you that they would, you know, love you or they would support you or they would keep your secret a secret for you. They would, um, whatever, whatever it was. Right? They were trustworthy. They, they were consistent. There was, congru- there, there was congruence between what they said and what they did. It made sense. It lined up. And Peter is saying here, 
that the testimonies about Jesus, the, um, those, the writings of the scriptures, are trustworthy. And he says this because of what he himself has seen. He says, we have been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, Peter had been eyewitness, an eyewitness of Jesus' majesty on many, in many events, right? Had, he had seen that, that Jesus had power over all kinds of things, like walking on water and curing the sick and healing the, and bringing sight to the blind, all that kind of stuff. But in particular, he is speaking about one major event in the life of Jesus. We know from our passage that Peter is referring to the transfiguration, right? We all know about the transfiguration because of the the James Bay movies about the Transformers, right? They are loosely based on this event. Actually, not at all. But it does have that same root, right? To train, to change, to change your appearance is what transfiguration is. And he tells us... um, we know, we know he's talking about the transfiguration because of the next two sentences in our passage, which say, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, you all, we, we all remember this story, right, of the transfiguration. And uh, let's just go through it real quick to refresh our memories. You had Peter, James, and John up there on the mountain, and they're with him, with Jesus on that mountain. And late at night, suddenly, Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the what? Sun. How does the sun shine? Can you look at it? Like intense light, right? It doesn't say like shone like a lamp, shone like a candle in the wind, shone like a, I don't know, what else you could think of back in the first century AD, like a torch. No, his face shone like the sun with intensity, power. And his clothes became dazzling white. And who else appears with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. That's right. Moses and Elijah. They're there representing the law and the prophets, right? They're there talking to Jesus. And Peter, what does he want to do? He wants to build some houses, right? He wants to build these little houses, right? And this was a part of, like, the Jewish culture. This was a story they would have understood, right? Because when the Jews were leaving slavery in Egypt and moving toward the promised land, they would build these little temporary shelters, these little booths. They would put them up all along that path for those 40 years that they wandered. They would build these things everywhere they went. And they still celebrated every year at the Festival of Booths when they build these. You go to Israel and you see houses of observant Jews are built with a deck that has the framework of one of these temporary shelters already built on it. So when it comes time for the Festival of Booths, they just bring in some branches, put them on top of that, and they're ready to go. Peter's like, he's got his public works project all set, and he is prepared to do this. He knows how to build this booth. But he is immediately stopped as a bright cloud descends upon them. Think about that for a second. 
a bright cloud. We don't normally associate clouds with brightness, do we? We associate clouds with darkness, with shadows, with potential rain or storms, lightning. But here we have a bright cloud. And God the Father speaks from that cloud and says, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. At this point, Peter, James, and John fall on their faces in fear. Peter's saying that because of what has he has seen with his own eyes and heard with his own ears and now testifies with his own words and life, he's saying, we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. The message of the Old Testament is confirmed in the life of Jesus Christ and the testimony of those who saw him and have passed on that message to us. We have it confirmed. It is visible what God has done. His words have been affirmed in the life of Jesus Christ. And the result of all of this, all of this confirmation and affirmation and trustworthiness, the result is you will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And what does a lamp do in a dark place? Brings light, right? Brings light. What else does it bring? Comfort. Exactly. It brings comfort. No one likes to sit in a dark room, right? Well, some of us do, but like, you know, like that's not the most comfortable thing, especially if you have to do anything, right? Life, light also brings something else. It brings understanding, doesn't it? brings an understanding of what's in the room, what's around us. If we're trying to look in a mirror, light can be helpful too, right? Because it brings understanding of ourselves as well. Anyone ever try to get ready for work in, in a dark room? Right? And you get there and partway through the day you look in the mirror and realize your hair has been like all sticking up back here all day long. Right? The light does a lot because it reveals it makes things clear for us. It gives understanding. It gives comfort. So Peter is telling his audience to pay attention to the prophetic message of the Bible because it gives light and understanding. And we need that. We need light and understanding. And we need comfort. We need it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We need it until Jesus Christ returns. That's what it talks about with the day dawn and the morning star rising in your heart. We need that light until Jesus comes back as the true light and shines for us. And no longer will we need a lamp because Jesus' light will be everywhere. He then gives us his teaching Peter gives us his teaching on how to understand the sources for the scriptures. He says, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
Now, the primary understanding of this statement is that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is given to us to understand God and what he calls us to. It's therefore not proper for people to disregard it or seek to change it. It's God's revealed word for us that we should receive and give thanks for and seek to understand and apply in our lives. It's from God and grounded in him. Peter knows this. Peter knows the applicability of Scripture. And he knows the message that is spoken in it because he was a witness to the word of God being fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. He saw it happen. And he saw those prophecies of the Old Testament come to pass in the life of Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to know this as well and to apply this truth to our lives too. The challenge is is that sometimes scripture is hard to understand. Sometimes it's a little opaque. Sometimes it's hard to apply or even to comprehend what's exactly being said. But Peter wants us to focus on a particular thing as well. Not to get mixed up in some of the other things, but particularly to look at what the scriptures say about Jesus Christ. We hear it in the words of the Father. This is my son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. We are to listen to the one who is the son, the one who is the beloved, the one who the Father is well pleased with. We are to listen to him. Peter, James, and John were able to witness Jesus Christ in his glory on the mountaintop, and his glory confirmed the prophecies of the scriptures. They were able to see his power radiate from him and transfigure his appearance. But the reality is that he was the same Jesus they had always known. They just saw him in a new light. It's not like Jesus got upgraded suddenly on the mountain. It's not like there was old Jesus and new Jesus. It was just Jesus. They just saw the glory that he already had within him. He is the Son of God. And they were able to see him as he truly is. Now, earlier I spoke about my own changes in my own life and how they affect me now. How wonderful it would be to never have had to change. To always live a life of righteousness. To have no history to not be burdened by shame and failure. That's what Jesus has. There wasn't a pre-transfiguration Jesus and a post-transfiguration Jesus. There has always been Jesus, the Son of God, the Beloved, the one who was sent to redeem the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is God. And there at the transfiguration, his disciples were able to clearly see it for the first time. In the same way, the prophecies of the scriptures were fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, and the fulfillment of those prophecies revealed them to be true. It did not change them. Rather, it confirmed them and affirms for us that we can trust in the Bible. And so today, we come to an unchanging God, one who is powerful, awesome, yet humble and kind and loving. And we come to him with our histories, But we don't just come with our histories, do we? Come with our present lives, too, which we wish 
we're more different than our histories, right? But we still struggle with sin. We still wrestle with our behavior and our thoughts and our words. We wish we were more loving and more kind. And so we bring this to Jesus as well. And we bring to him as well our hopes for the future, which sometimes those are bent too. And the beautiful thing is that God does not turn away from us. He doesn't send us away with a number and say, come back when you get it together and I'll see you then. Rather, he takes our past, our present, and our future, and he wraps them in his grace. He clothes them in his love, and he bathes us in his redeeming blood and the cleansing waters of baptism, and he declares us to be clean. And then he causes his holy light, the light that shined like the sun from his face, causes that to shine from us as well. Let us, therefore, be attentive to him like a lamp shining in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of grace and mercy and yet the God of holiness and perfection. Lord God, we come to you now and in in the light of your countenance, it's so easy to see our frailties and our failures. And yet, Lord, you do not crush us under those. Rather, you take those And you transform them with your grace and mercy. And you make our histories, rather than a battering ram to crush us, you make them um, soil in which to grow in, Lord. You give us opportunity to repent and to experience transformation and change. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would take our brokenness, take our failures, Take the ways that we have wandered away from you and redeem them, Lord, and redeem us and reconcile us to you. Fill our hearts with hope. Fill our lives with joy and peace. And help us, Lord God, to speak your message of salvation to a world which is yearning to hear a word of hope. Lord, help us to live humbly in this world and to shine with your light that others might see it and be drawn to you and find life as well. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.